Jingophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles. Welcome back to Anglophilia. I'm Stephanie Callis. I'm Kaylee McMahon. And today on the table, Black Books. Black Books is a delightfully pessimistic comedy created by Dylan Moran and Graham Linehan. It aired for three seasons on Channel 4 between 2000 and 2004 and starred Moran as Bernard Black a misanthropic Irishman who owns and runs a London-based bookstore. Instead of creating a friendly local shopping environment, however, Bernard spends his time indulging in wine and cigarettes and insulting any customers who walk through the door. Accompanying him in the shop is Bill Bailey's sensitive, emotional, naive Manny Bianco, Bernard's assistant, who lives in the shop and is at least competent enough to occasionally place a book reorder when he isn't getting into his own childish trouble. Bernard's friend and maybe one-time lover Fran, portrayed by Tamsin Grieg, occasionally tries to help Bernard lift himself up from his drunken pit of despair, but shares too many of Bernard's bad habits to actually get either of them anywhere. The show's plots are always simple. They decide to do their taxes, or go on holiday, or house-sit for a wealthy friend, which then becomes the catalyst for a bizarre misadventure rife with desperation, bad decisions, and always, always, always drinking. Cool, let's dive right in. When did you first watch this one? You know, I have no idea. It's one of those things that I feel like I've always just kind of been aware of. I'm sure that I watched it in high school on BBC America, but revisiting it this past couple of weeks, I realized that I remembered none of it except for I I must have seen the pilot multiple times because that one really stuck in my head. Like the little book of calm, I very much remembered and I saw that little book of calm. Like there are a lot of things that that I was like this feels like a very familiar plot point, but I'm sure sure that anything else I watched was just sort of in passing. I always liked it and I liked watching it again this time, but I don't remember, I don't have like specific memories of when it was first introduced into my life. Okay. For me, it was sophomore year of college living in an apartment on campus with the same roommate who had just like burned episodes of extras and the sooty show. Getting together to watch Black Books was kind of a favorite uh, procrastination pastime of the two of us. She had also shown me a Dylan Moran stand-up special and we just... We just loved that man, dude. Come to mama. That is a foxy, foxy man. I know. <laughs> um, I actually saw the second episode first and oh, okay. was then alarmed to learn, not alarmed, surprised to learn that that was not in fact the pilot. But I kind of feel the same way about the second episode as I do about, or as you and I do about the plague in mm-hmm. uh, Father Ted. It's like, I think that the second episode still works very, very well as a pilot because we're reintroduced to all the characters anyway, because the second episode focuses on Manny kind of trying to navigate a blackout <laughs> of Bernard's mm-hmm. and uh, learning whether or not he was actually hired to work in the bookshop. So right. yeah, that episode means a lot to me and it's the first one I ever saw yeah anyway I mean I think that this is one of those shows it's sort of a a return to classic sitcom form in that you could probably watch any of these in any order with the exception of the actual pilot and it none of it makes any difference yeah I see black books too you know it being co-created by Graham Linehan I was not comparing it to Father Ted, Mm -hmm. but if anything, I was kind of amazed by just how unashamedly for as bizarre as it is and wacky and and the places they go are very very wacky but i kind of appreciated just the the brazen seinfeldian sort of ethos of of the whole thing it's just how (laughs) it's like oh who's here now 
oh, it's been several minutes and we're kind of short on time and we're still not sure where this episode is actually going. Hmm. I appreciated that. Okay. See, I I did think of Father Ted a lot, not just because of the Graham Linehan connection, but because of something that you had said during our Father Ted episode about how that is basically, if you strip away all of the poking fun at the Catholic Church, it's a show about three men who hate their jobs. And yes. this is certainly <laughs> this in the same vein. It also did make me think a lot, you know, having a titular character whose business is also, you know, named after him. And it also is a word that is sort of a play on what his personality is. Of course, I thought of Faulty Towers. Yeah. He's so miserable to other people and in his own skin in a very different way. I'm not, he, he doesn't remind me of Basil as a person, but just as far as the situation that he's in and the way that we watch his antics and his cartoonishness within the world and the different ways in which he is addicted to different people. Yeah. So Bernard, I kind of feel is, you know, mostly he could only exist on TV, but also he he does kind of remind me of other people I've interacted with in my life, really? in especially employment situations or sort of volunteer situations where I go, okay, so you don't you don't know the first thing about doing your tax returns. You don't actually keep any sort of inventory of what you're selling. You don't have any record of money going in and money coming out. And you're horrible with people. And you don't appear to really do anything all day. How did you ever open up a business? <laughs> like, that requires a lot of tenacity. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't just, you know, it, it's not like, <laughs> like, like I think about, Jez and Superhands inheriting the pub from mm-hmm. their friend who goes crazy. It's like, it's not simple. You have to take out loans and <laughs> yeah. you have to like keep this thing afloat somehow when people don't just come in because a store is there. Like how, how did you do that if this is also the way that you are? No, it's true. It seems like a vast but very intentional mistake. Mm-hmm. Again, with like Faulty Towers, that's something that you need to have made a, a conscious decision at some point in the past. You don't just happen into a miserable career as a proprietor of something the same no. way that, say, you know, Mark from Peep Show is unhappy at JLB credit. It's not Corrigan credit. He didn't accidentally start this <laughs> terrible place <laughs> that makes him miserable. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah. But I mean, I love, I think that we should play a clip here of when he's just discussing the business of, you know, buying and selling books and how it's Sisyphean it is. How much for these? 40 pounds. They're worth more than that. These are good hardbacks. Tolstoy, Turgenev, I know, Flaubert. I know, I know. But I don't want them. I mean, you know, I'll have to price them then and put them up on the shelves and store them and people will come in and ask about them and (laughs) buy them and read them and come back and sell them, you know, and the whole hideous cycle will just go on and on and on and on, you know? (laughs) Just please, take them away, go away. Sorry, no, it won't work. Here, look, here, here. There's 40 quid, just take them away, please. I mean, that's how I feel about all of jobs and capitalism and life at the moment like what is really the point of any of it and he brings up he brings up a good point in my opinion no he does certainly bring up a good point but this is also something that happens to me when i see movies or tv shows just about life in retail Mm. like when you asked me during our crashing episode would you ever want to live in a place like this Mm -hmm. and i said well they make it look fun but hell no (laughs) living in a disused hospital with a bunch of crazy people but 
I look at a movie like Empire Records Mm -hmm. that takes place in a record store and they make it look like the most fun you could ever possibly have ever. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about this show. Yeah, sure. If owning and operating a used bookstore means sitting there doing nothing and being my myself Mm -hmm. and just kind of drinking and eating whenever I want and never cleaning. And same with Fran. (laughs) Fran has a shop next door that she never seems to be in. Yeah, and then it closes at some point, right? Yeah, it does, but we don't really kind of know what the... Yeah. Yeah, same with her. Oh, I run a shop next door that's full of doodads, and whenever I want, I can just come by Bernard's shop and do nothing. Oh, yeah. Seems I mean, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I think that the difference between TV jobs and real jobs is like the difference between the American office and the British office. Like there how many people in America, granted I've never seen the entirety of the American office, but how many people do you think watch that show aspirationally and be like, "Oh, I wish I could work in such a fun, goofy, colorful office and have wacky antics with all my friends." Whereas if you watch the British None. office, it's like, oh, it's the mirror is reflecting nature and I want to kill myself. No, 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 no. Look, the American office does not look like a fun place to work. And I don't think they really? okay. they try to make it look that way. I really don't. I think it's very clear that there are people there who are miserable. I really do. Okay, okay. See, I, I was just making an uneducated guess and I suppose I'm wrong. But I bet that there somewhere in our stupid country, there's some stupid person who has watched that show and thought, oh, I would like to work there in an Empire Records way. Oh, probably. Yeah, that's that's all. I mean, when when you put it in those terms, somewhere in our stupid country, some stupid person is thinking a stupid thing. Oh, definitely. (laughs) But what I'm saying is that I don't think that anybody would look at the British office and feel that same way. Just like how I don't think that if you, if you actually had a real black books and you had an employer that was that surly and abusive to his employees and to his customers. You probably wouldn't think, oh, that looks like a lark. I would love to work there (laughs) if that were if you wandered into this shop. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, his one employee his who one wanders employee. in there kind of by mistake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Going back to how I know that I've seen the pilot for this several times and then apparently just forgot or didn't see much of the rest of the series, or if I did, I haven't seen it in about 20 years. I I want to talk about the character of Manny because he's a little bit harder to pin down. Yes. Bernard Black is so very obviously just, just a miserable bugger who is always smoking and drinking. He's so depressed and drunk and mean, but, you know, in a cartoony way so you don't ever actually fear for the safety of anybody else. He's just, he's very one note, and I mean that in a good way because it's a very clear note. Whereas Mm -hmm. Manny, in the first episode, what happens is that he comes in and he's an accountant and he really hates his job and he's very, very hurried and clearly very stressed and he's looking for this thing called the Little Book of Calm and then he he reads it and he goes, you know, imagine that you are a lily floating in a river. And then when he's back at his job, it falls into his cup of soup and he accidentally drinks it and then he goes to the hospital where they x-ray him and he says, oh, it seems that your body has absorbed the little book of calm. And then you see him and it's like there's lighting on him. So he looks like Jesus and he's really, really serene. And I assumed based on that pilot that that was just who he was going to be for the rest of the series. I thought, yes. oh, it's going to be he's going to be a perfect foil for this constantly uptight, angry, abusive man. He's just going to be this like very, oh, just don't don't worry about it. Like the the perfect calming influence. And he he still is very much a foil for Bernard, but not in quite such a black and white way. No. Pun intended. Not really pun, but wordplay <laughs> intended because his last name is Bianco, which is Italian for white. So they're, they're very set up to be foils. Well, kind of adding to that, that's a good point. The Little Book of Calm thing does sort of 
fall away. Disappear, yeah. Never to really be mentioned again. Which is another reason why I will say that I do think the second episode is just kind of a better pilot. And I that's my opinion, because it's the episode I saw first. But mm-hmm. it's Manny's first day. And Manny is yeah. a huge character. And that's an actual inciting incident is Manny's first day and then we learn how Bernard was hired and even the way that we meet Bernard is kind of more interesting in the second episode Hmm. because he's waking up and he's hung over and we kind of learn everything we need to learn about him yeah but I will say adding to what you just said about Manny being hard to pin down in the second episode he comes in and he really kind of turns everything around business-wise. He does do a huge Mm -hmm. reordering of the books because he's also been left alone to mine the shop for a while and he sells out nearly their entire inventory of books. And then he calls to reorder more and it's clear that Bernard can't possibly be bothered to do it. He's stressed out by the simplest of tasks, which is, you know, make, make a phone call. Like Manny does it, no problem. And Manny, you know, stays on top of checking in. Oh, how's my first trial run of employment going so far he seems so capable and Mm -hmm. lovely while still being cute and funny and then I kind of feel like there are so many other incidents in in every other episode that's like actually no just kidding Manny's an idiot and he can't do anything yeah yeah he's very inconsistent it's in some ways again he's kind of the Manuel figure in the sense that he's the one that the boss is always he's he's the whipping boy essentially but yeah sometimes he's very good at his job as you said and and other times he's not and I I just kind of wish that there were a little bit more clarity I think that I think that the pilot is a good pilot, but I think that it's setting up a different show than what they ended up delivering to okay, us. Okay, that's a better and way so of putting it. So in that sense, I would agree with you that the second one does more accurately set up what's the rest. And I think that the inciting incident, you know, of his first day, I think that that would be good. But I feel like there are other shows um, where the introduction, the pilot is where you see this new character and then the second episode is like, okay, here's what the rest of the show is going to be and you start to get them into their routine. That's true, that's true. I'm trying to think, there's got to be a better example than the one that I'm thinking of. But like, if you think of Friends, like she bursts into Central Park wearing a wedding dress and then like at the very end of the episode, you see that she's working at Central Park. But like, it's not until the second episode that she starts to actually adjust to her life of like living independently in New York and not depending on, you know, daddy's finances to keep her afloat. Got it. I still have never seen that. I know, I know. I just, I just read a book about it. So it's fresh on my mind. And I also can't think, but there are so many other examples where it's like, oh, first episode, introduce this new person. And then second episode. And now we start to really break you into your new routine, whatever it may be. I'll probably think of something before the end of this episode. (laughs) A moment in the second episode that I always liked was um, Graham Linehan's little cameo (laughs) of the guy who shows up uh, quote early in the morning at half 10 <laughs> in a real mood to buy a book and he's even wearing an obnoxious t-shirt that says I love books <laughs> and it just looks so stupid but <laughs> um, two years later so my senior year of college with the familiarity of the show I was working at the college community radio station and um, my TV my TV show my radio show <laughs> was moved from 8.30 to 10.30 at night to 6 to 9 in the morning hmm. which was interesting (laughs) so basically I'd be up at four and then I'd get to yeah and then I'd get to the station and I would pull all the music that I needed and then I would do the show for three hours and then from there I'd have class all day (laughs) at one point in my life I had the energy and the freaking drive to do that um man 
But during finals, I still had the show, but I didn't have class that day, but I did have to study. So I was like, okay, gonna do the show and then I'm gonna go downtown, I'm gonna hit Starbucks and then I'm gonna go home. And because I didn't have class that day, I just wore my pajamas to the radio station because I wasn't gonna be interacting with anybody. And then I went to Starbucks and whatever, young student in her pajamas in a Starbucks, what the fuck ever at Santa Cruz mm -hmm. or, I mean, I'll, I was in my pajamas at a coffee shop hours ago. <laughs> and so I ordered my Americano and as I waited for it, I realized I was in my pajamas that my father had given me several months earlier for Christmas, which included pajama pants covered in cute pictures of cups of coffee and a long sleeve cotton t-shirt that said, I love coffee with a <laughs> giant coffee cup. Oh, you were that douche. <laughs> was, I'm like, okay, I look dumb. That's pajamas don't care. These pajamas, I clearly was not thinking. Very yeah, good. That is really funny. But I think that you bring up a good point with the Graham Linehan cameo because there are people like that. I mean, certainly, you know, every time I record this just as like a little good luck charm, I wear a Britcom related t-shirt. I have felt the need to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars of my hard-earned cash on various like red bubble concoctions that express my love of something that I don't need to show to the world. But like, I don't know, if you go to any bookstore not any bookstore, but like most bookstores, they don't just sell books. They sell book paraphernalia. They sell tote bags that say, I love books or magnets that say, you know, with quotes about famous people loving books. And it's like, what, what are you trying to prove exactly? Just read a book. That's <laughs> you put your money where your mouth is, or where your magnet is. Or, or before I go to like a concert of a band I love, mm -hmm. I always stare at the T-shirt collection, <laughs> and I have the monologue of, "Okay, can't wear a Nick Cave shirt to a Nick Cave show, <laughs> but I can wear a Bowie shirt. People will be into that. There you go. People will Crossover. respect that. <laughs> and then, like, I go and I see people in the Bad Seed T-shirt, and I'm like, okay, glad I didn't go with that because everyone's telling me how much they love my David Bowie shirt. There you go. Be be a slight iconoclast. Yeah. Or like wearing an I Heart New York T-shirt in New York. Fuck you. Oh, <laughs> don't, wear, don't say tell don't it to say the middle fuck of the you. Country. Those those poor people are just asking to be mugged and <laughs> you don't need to add insult to injury it's true oh i feel like such a dick saying that because i obviously i like tourists i like that they come to our city and remind us of why we live in a special place and certainly i've been an obnoxious well hopefully not an obnoxious but i've been a tourist in other places and i'm wowed by the things that are very obvious that the locals take for granted but yeah it is a little bit embarrassing like i i would never you know i've been to london twice i love it it's my favorite city that i've ever been to I'm not going to buy an I Heart London shirt and then wear it in London. If I were going to purchase such a monstrosity, I would at least wait till I was back home. A monstrosity. That's maybe an exaggeration. Again, to bring in friends, there's an episode, uh, <laughs> the one with Ross's wedding. It's a two-parter that they filmed in London. Because, oh and the subplot of the first half is that Joey and Chandler are going around doing all of these tourist things. And Joey is being a very embarrassing American tourist and Chandler is embarrassed of him. And he gets this giant Union Jack top hat that he wears around the place. And, oh and Chandler's so embarrassed that he like goes back to the hotel room because he can't be seen with him. But then Joey has a, an amazing time and ends up meeting Fergie. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Friends was a good show. I think that you should give it a chance uh, at some point. All we are saying is give friends a chance. <laughs> they're taking it off Netflix, though. And oh, they the took millennials it off Netflix, are very but they're bringing upset. it to HBO Max in the spring. 
which I'm not going to pay for. Yeah, see, you missed your chance. You had five years when it was on Netflix. Well, that really should speak to my interest level, though. And I know. And this is not a jab at you at all. No, I know, I know. I don't know why I'm trying to push friends on you. There are more. We should talk. Let, let's keep it British. Let's go back to black books. <laughs> okay, well, I was going to say, when we went to London, I remember you wanting to find Union Jack Doc Martens, and had you found them, I would not have been embarrassed. Oh, well, thank you. That's something that, I mean, I tried looking for them here, too, but I couldn't ever find them. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I did a deep dive on Amazon once and found these incredible patent leather ones mm. with uh, black and yellow stripes. Ooh. Yeah. They're, you know what? I, I wear them occasionally. Yeah. They're, they're I was like scouring eBay for so eBay. long and Poshmark, mm. just like hoping to find these boots that I had in my head. And then the other day when I was on the subway and the doors opened at Columbus Circle, I saw a guy waiting on the platform who had those shoes and the doors <gasps> closed and I never saw him again. But Dude, you should have kicked his ass and stolen them. Or fallen in love and, and stolen them. Or shared them. Oh, that's Depends even better. Depends on if better. our shoe sizes are the same. That's Probably like not. way more, that's way more psychotic, but in a uniquely female calculating way, <laughs> which I respect so much. Why, thank you. So speaking of females. Oh, yes. Can we talk about Fran? Yes, let's. So Fran, oh, this was another, not a Father Ted comparison, but like a Graham Linehan, aha, sort mm-hmm. of moment is, you know, him and Arthur Matthews saying in the Father Ted documentary we watched about, you know, the token female character sitting back with her arms folded going, you men are so dumb. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Fran is not that. Mm Mm-hmm. Love that. Because I feel like in the first season, and there are moments throughout the second and third seasons as well, but maybe less, like there are episodes where they're all in some kind of situation together mm-hmm. and they're all equally messy, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, strange people. And then there are other episodes where, you know, Fran is on a date because she's a lady or Fran has a misunderstanding with her boyfriend because she is a lady or Fran tries yoga because she is a lady. <laughs> but it's still never insulting really yeah i still like watching her operate during those situations even though those situations are like the girl story yeah oh, to a degree i mean yeah. i did think about one of your slight criticisms of extras how in extras you have the two main characters and andy is solely focused on his career and maggie is solely focused on dating and how you said that that felt a little bit gendered and i don't disagree but i also think that yeah fran does get saddled with a lot more dating things like you see her trying a lot more than you see either of the men go on dates. But what I will say about that, it's not that, you know, women are only built for love. Insert amazing little women quote. I think that what needs to be admitted is that dating men is a much more potentially disastrous and horrible experience than dating women. So a straight woman, there's a lot more horrific comedy to be mined, I think, than dating as a straight man. Because also, if the point is that you're on your main character's side and you want to root for them, and you also want to give them, you know, as much comedic suffering as possible, it could read as misogynistic if you see a man go on a series of crazy dates with crazy women. That's why watching The Bachelorette is so much more fun than watching The Bachelor. Watching The Bachelor feels exploitative, but watching The Bachelorette is hilarious because I love to watch men cry. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I once got into a debate with the guy I dated sophomore year about, you know, one of, one of those 19-year-old men trying to convince you that uh, sexism isn't a thing. <laughs> oh. I was just kind of talking about 
sexism and the flavor of love. And he was like, well, that's not a thing because New York got her own show too. And she's exploiting the men on her show. <sighs> so yes, the boy I dated at age 19 would tell you that's not true. Because if there's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, it's all even Stevens. <laughs> Which is actually a good show. Anyway. Oh, little Shia. Anyway. um, Little Shia. <laughs> Can we talk about the episode where Fran fucking jerks off? Yes! Okay, that was one of my favorites. Okay, that was like revolutionary to me. Like, right? I mean, on British shows, we've seen a lot of weird stuff. We've talked about how there's a lot more racy content. They can swear. They can make jokes about pedophile priests there are boobs on monty python like they can definitely push the envelope a lot more than we can here on like network tv in the u.s but i don't think i've ever seen anything like that that wasn't on like a you know premium cable subscription channel that was that was so like i was shocked in a good way well yeah well because also even though black books is a show about like an alcoholic Mm -hmm. it doesn't really do crass or blue humor this was a standout like oh we're making sex jokes Jokes and the sex jokes are about graphic female onanism. Yeah. That's cool. Which we just, we never see, we barely even hear about it on TV. And like, this was back no. in what, 2000? This just yeah. felt so cool to me. I actually, this was one of my favorite episodes and I thought that it was an interesting structure because for the most of it, the three of them have completely separate storylines wherein they're more or less by themselves. Bernard is locked out because of this new security system. And so he's temporarily homeless for the night. And he does have some interactions with people he gets a job at a fast food place in order to avoid being out on the street and then he quits as soon as it stops yes. raining like it's you, you know you see him wandering trying to find shelter just for these 12 hours or whatever meanwhile manny is engaged in this hilarious sort of indoor survivalist challenge because he is meanwhile locked inside and there's no food and so you see him like building a tent and making fire and trying to eat just the most random stuff that is not I, I thought that was very funny and again yes interesting to have a character just be completely by himself and, and that's a whole subplot and then meanwhile Fran has reconnected with an old school friend who she said was kind of boring but he has this really sexy voice and so he was going to be reading what was it the shipping report or something after yes. the news on the radio and so she's just you know in her bed and uh doing what makes her feel good while listening to his dreamy voice and oh i mean who hasn't done that maybe not with the shipping news but with something audio but then the shipping news ends and she's not finished yes so she (laughs) calls him oh get it fran respect i i i thought get it fran respect but i also thought that's a bit creepy oh no it certainly is and i'm just saying that because yeah if it were the other way around it would be ah arrest that man (laughs) but i don't have a problem with women being messy on television i kind of like it Mm -hmm. because there is the argument and i'll flip-flop because hey i'm a flawed human being and my biases are difficult to keep count of bitch (laughs) um you know sometimes i think that behaviorally in the day-to-day i do feel a surge of pride when Mm -hmm. women just remain better behaved than than men yeah in kind of one-on-one encounters at the workplace or personally or you know yeah this guy freaked the fuck out and screamed at me and knocked over a wastebasket and walked away you know crying and sniveling like a little brat and I remained perfectly calm like sometimes I see that and I go fuck yeah 
But other times I love when a woman is like, you know what? I can do this too, bitch. Mm-hmm. I can get messy and I can get drunk and I can be irresponsible. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to whack off and be gross about it. Yeah. You know, occasionally I kind of go, yeah, you know what? There's something to a woman or just, you know, anyone who's not a cis straight white man. It's like, yeah. I, I, I'm allowed to also be flawed. Be complicated. It is be a not just human. Yeah. reserved for y'all. A whole yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. In fact, just last night, I went to see the Harley Quinn movie, and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Did you see it? I didn't, but I'm surprised that you did. I didn't see Suicide Squad. Me neither. Zero intri- okay. No, I went to see this because I like to support things that are about women and also written and directed by women. And my whole family saw it and recommended. It's not a great movie, but first of all, like very fun visually, lots of bright colors cool costumes second of all extremely cathartic in this day and age to see women kicking the shit out of men okay so and shooting after... them with glitter oh oh yeah all right so so after we hang up i'm gonna go fucking volunteer for elizabeth fucking warren yeah you are and when i hear this back in several months i will either cry or or not <laughs> but then after that after i do my grocery shopping mm-hmm. should i see little women or birds of prey Ooh, um, I'm going to say make time to see both, but whatever you're in the mood for. If you're in the mood for like a really great movie that centers women, or if you're in the mood for a fun, violent movie that centers women, Hmm. up to you. Well, I guess later in the day, I will know this answer. Yeah, see how angry you're feeling. All will be revealed in several (laughs) hours. Well, I bring up that movie just because, I mean, talk about a flawed protagonist. Holy shit. She's really a despicable, sociopathic person. But I also just loved her so much. And I think that's a really good example of that sort of phenomenon. Um, or Anyway, just just go see the movie. I, I think you'll like it. Well, thank you for the recommendation because I wouldn't well, have thought about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. We've covered the three central characters. Yeah. So did you have any favorite episodes or favorite moments? As I said, I've always really, really loved that second episode, Mm -hmm. but I also think that it's because, as we talked about, for instance, to bring Peep Show up again, Mm -hmm. like the druggy humor. Sometimes I see druggy humor on TV and movies and I go, oh, it's funny because you're high and you're eating. Ho, ho, ho. Like how many times have I seen that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, Superhands and Jeremy have the ability to make that seem very unique and fresh despite Mm -hmm. the fact that it's really kind of not but they make it so that it is so I really have always loved episode two because Manny comes into the shop and Bernard is asleep and he wakes up with a cigarette in his mouth with a horrible hangover and the first thing he says is am I dead (laughs) and I always loved that and then you know Manny has to say well you hired me And Bernard asks, was I drinking? And then you get this wonderful flashback to Bernard drunkenly offering Manny a job in the shop. And in fact, because of his level of inebriation, it's really like he's offering the job up on a plate and sort of demanding that he come work for him. And it's in a bar and he can't keep track of what he's saying. It's very, very cute. But the other incident of incredible debauchery that's always stuck with me is in season three, when Fran goes to Lucy Davis's uh, bachelorette mm-hmm. weekend <laughs> and you have this wonderful Fran's got to go away and spend time with the girls and she's dreading it it's her friends from college and they've all turned out with these you know more perfect lives on paper and they're married and they're blah blah and you know Fran hates that she's got to get together and do this girly thing mm-hmm. and you see freaking Lucy Davis and Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. I'm just like so comforted by the sight of them mm-hmm. and things devolve into just you know abysmal drunkenness and that's largely because Fran has brought a bottle of a liquor cure or a spirit that they haven't all had since uni. Hey, as we're playing truth, Fran, 
I think you're a bit jealous. Mm. That's why you got us all really pissed, and that's why you've made us play your stupid games to bring us down to your level. What am I jealous of? Well, for a start, I've got a career. And I've got a job and a family. I'm getting married. And you are still the same old Auntie Millicent. Who, who's Auntie Millicent? It's what we used to call you. Because <laughs> we knew you'd turn into a crazy spinster. <laughs> and you have run, really. Hanging out with your two freaks from the bookshop. <laughs> what else was that? Oh, yeah. Um, Auntie Millicent who lived in the crooked house. <laughs> with, with loads of cats. Oh, that's right. Purple cats, and you had sex with them all. <laughs> and once again, I'm watching Olivia Coleman pretend to be hammered and it's so good hmm. and so exact because you have people faking drunk and some people are horrible at it <laughs> yes. and they just kind of talk like this and they're like, I'm drunk, it doesn't matter. Yep. That's not how drunk people talk. But Olivia Coleman does this added thing where she's kind of trying to keep down a hiccup, but she might also be trying to keep down vomit. <laughs> and she has a way of making her eyes effed up in mm -hmm. ways that are very natural. And she makes sure that she's not just pretending to slur. She's actually kind of delayed. Yes, the key to playing drunk is to play that you're trying not to let on that you're drunk. That's true yes. of anything. It's true of being crazy or horny or angry. It's... Suppression hey, is funny. Joaquin Phoenix was amazing every time he acted movie crazy because you didn't want the audience to forget that he was a crazy person going crazy. Kind of like the brother in Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Did you think they had the same fake disease? No, but what if they were the same person? <laughs> What if Joaquin Phoenix eventually Joker becomes actually. Laura Linney's brother locked up in the place talking about the Pope doing exorcisms? Oh my god. I kinda, that's what happens to the Joker in that Joker universe. I mean, I'd watch that mashup. I also love Grapes of Wrath. Oh yes, I love that too. Yeah, they, they end up killing the Pope. They kill the Pope. Manny and Bernard are house-sitting for a friend of Bernard's, and this guy has this incredible collection of wine downstairs in a basement, and he's got this rack of, you know, like, generic, affordable wines. And there are many, many, many of them, mm -hmm. and they're not dusty. They look very clean. They look like this rack of wine is replenished with some regularity. And then he has a shorter rack just to the right of it, and there's only, like, five or six bottles that are very, very dusty and old-looking, and he mm -hmm. explains to Manny the giant case is for the taking. Have as much of this wine as you want, mm -hmm. but you cannot touch these dusty bottles of wine. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they're worth a fortune, and one of them is going to be presented to the Pope. Mm -hmm. Like, how that happens, I don't know. <laughs> but Manny, and again, you know, despite the fact that he seems like a very capable, intelligent, responsible, ordinary person, mm -hmm. just the episode before yeah. makes the terrible mistake of switching up those two in his mind. And you're not sure why yeah. Manny gets it that wrong. I mean, I think it just had to happen because of sitcom rules. When you set up something so obvious, like, oh, here's this antique vase atop a... I mean, they actually do have that earlier in the episode where mm -hmm. they bump into a vase and it falls. Like, you just... 
you need to set up the most ridiculous. Sort of similar to with Father Ted, by repeating these very obvious sitcom tropes, like that kind of is the joke in a way. Like they send up the obviousness of, well, obviously they're going to need to drink these wines instead of these. And the fact that there isn't even like a good reason for switching them is just like, well, there you go. That's just what's that's what's going to happen now. Oh, yeah. And then it sort of turns into... Frankenstein or Frankenwine, if you will, because they're having oh. to make a new one to replace the, what was it, like 6,000 pounds of wine that they just drank. So Manny, like, <laughs> hurts his foot and he has a limp and he's, you know, hunched over and everything. Yes, and Bernard's screaming about, like, give my creation life. Mm-hmm. Something that I've always loved about Dylan Moran, mm-hmm. I'm not even going to be able to put this very well, but mm-hmm. he, he just kind of consistently comes up with things that... I would never be able to come up with on my own, which is great because mm-hmm. that's why people, that's how it should be when people get to be on TV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw him do stand up live Ooh. in 2016, two days after the election. Oh. And the way that he was able to sort of make me feel okay about it and smile for mm. the first time in days was was great, but he went on, one of the highlights of the show was his bit about his child's hamster being found dead of an overdose in a boutique Paris hotel. <laughs> like like things like that, you go, never never thought about that. Yeah. Um, but the little things he comes up with, like when Manny and, and Bernard discover what they did wrong and that they're gonna be in huge trouble with their friend, Dylan Moran just says, could we burn the house down? <laughs> and the way he delivers it with sincerity is wonderful. The same thing kind of happening with the way that he is talking to Manny the episode before trying to offer him a job in, in the bookshop. Manny then repeats something back to him about the job and then Bernard, in his confused drunkenness, now thinks that Manny's offering him a job. Mm-hmm. But the way he then says, oh, do you have anything in an aquarium? <laughs> the non sequiturs and the way that he's able to deliver them as if they make total sense are so convincing and wonderful and yeah. whimsical that my whimsical side goes, oh, makes sense. That's and, great. and then I laugh. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the best way that I can come up with describing the the surprising comedy yeah the uniquely surprising comedy of dylan moran okay here's a thought that i had and tell me if you agree with this again not to compare this too much to father ted because it is its own show and you know most of the episodes in later seasons weren't even written by graham linhan but obviously there is some connection there tonally but i think that bernard black is like if you merged all three of the father ted priests into one being do you get what i mean i agree with you because yeah. naturally with there being three people and one, one of them's a, a woman you kind of go okay so how can I do I see shades of Mrs. Doyle do I see shades of Dougal and Manny yeah and Manny for as stupid as he is he's not Dougal I was not able to really draw too many parallels between those two but yeah no you're right yeah And, and I don't think that Fran is like Mrs. Doyle either but I think that you've got the discontent and general misanthropy of Ted You've got, like you said, the sort of whimsical silliness and stupidity and also the fact that the actor is really adorable of Dougal and then the drunken debauchery of Jack. Like, it's kind of the perfect cocktail. And there is a moment in episode two where Bernard just yells, LUNCH! <laughs> in a very Father Jack sort of way. Yeah. And Fran comes in with a bottle of wine. That's all she has for lunch. And she's going, all right. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't prove that that's an actual nod or mm-hmm. if that's just something that I'm seeing because it's it's a reference that I have. Yeah. But 
Yes, there's the sort of misanthropic, selfish, I appear normal until you speak to me kind of yeah. personality of, of Ted. And how did I get here when I clearly don't yeah, love my work? <laughs> absolutely. And the other, uh, yeah, I, I see that for sure. Cool, cool. I also liked the next episode where Manny's mistaken for a cop and he just goes along with it. Is that the one where he's had so much espresso? That yes. He, that was silly. That's another one where um, Bernard had a blackout the night before and he's trying to piece together what happened. Yeah, it's the being too embarrassed to correct somebody and then like stumbling into something that they are ill-suited to, but still like going along with it and trying to keep up the charade. It's something that happens in the IT crowd with, uh, what's his name? You know, the hot guy. He like, he accidentally starts working at a concession stand, like during intermission of a West End show that he's seeing. Or like, oh, um, wait, is the hot guy Chris O'Dowd or Richard Iowati? Richard Iowati. You, okay. know, you know my taste. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and like, you know, Father Ted with Dougal getting sucked into being a milkman. Like, it's just, it's sort of a recurring theme. And also, I think that Jen in the IT crowd, like, she doesn't know anything about IT and sort of accidentally gets into her job. It feels like everybody in all of these shows, or, you know, Fran... Yeah. Why is she working at this knickknack shop when she doesn't even know what half of the things do? And she never seems to work. You never see her in her shop outside of the pilot, pretty much. And why is why does anybody, everybody just sort of accidentally stumbles into a job in this show? And then Fran gets that, like, corporate office job. And, and we as an audience don't even know what it is. And she doesn't know what it is. And she starts pretending to type things. Mm -hmm. And then she gets promoted when she bullshits a presentation about business. This is a company. Yeah, just all the generic... But that's but kind of it's, how I it's feel not about... completely unrealistic, is it? No, I know. I mean, I yeah. feel that way about office jobs and the things that I've done where I, I have like a bare minimum of understanding necessary to do like the job that I currently have. But I felt wildly unqualified for the job that I had before this one. And oh, God, I think of that great Weird Al video mission statement. You know, the one I'm talking about where he's no. just... Oh, it's really fun. It was when he was doing some parody songs, but then also some original songs. And it's basically, the video is really great. It's like all of these little animations, but it uses like all of the corporate jargon about like, we must maximize the optimal efficiency of the synergy of the, you know, performance goals of, it's like every term that it makes my brain explode because I don't understand what it means because it means nothing. The emperor is naked, you guys, but it's always fun to have that pointed out by writers whose work I respect to be like, oh, you're not alone in not understanding any of this. One of my actual, my Achilles heel when it comes to writing. Now that's not to say that I can write anything and it's going to be perfect, but I can, I can figure out like, this is how a novel looks and I understand this. And if I really wanted to, I could write something that at least looks like this. Okay. Can't declare that it would be the most beautiful thing you've ever read, mm -hmm. but I can, I could do this. Same with the screenplay. I'm not saying I could write an incredible groundbreaking one, but it's like, I know what this looks like and I understand how humans interact with each other and I could come up with something. But when it comes to cover letters <laughs> or, um, I can't sell myself or like my resume. I understand how to plug in what I did, when, and what that meant. But then I get to the part where I'm supposed to give an overview at the top. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't make me point out what makes me unique. Yeah. Just look at these fucking facts. What else the fuck do you want from me? Exactly. Call me in for an interview and I will charm the pants off you. <laughs> but, you know, don't make me write my goals? I don't have 
have goals for you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it this way. I don't have goals pertaining to anything you fuckers are going to pay me for in the next three months or goals. years. <laughs> my goal is to pay my damn rent exactly. and buy myself some time. That's yeah. Really... And not starve. <laughs> yeah. And then anytime I actually try to look at LinkedIn profiles and see what other people have on there, I'm going... Oh, you sound like a robot or you you sound like you actually speak German and this has been translated in, in Google Translate <laughs> and you're you're using words like projection and energy and I'm going <laughs> what what the what is any of this? I couldn't come up with that stuff if I had all the time in the world. Yeah, I've always wondered when I'm in like one of those meetings, not just at this job, but at any job where like I can feel my life force being slowly siphoned off by the dullness of what the people are saying. I just wonder, do they actually believe in what they are saying? Or do they believe that they are saying anything? Or are we all just faking it? Are we all just three kids in a trench coat? Because that's what I feel like, but I don't know if everybody else shares that. Maybe it's just artistic people who wind up working in some sort of corporate situation. It's gotta be maybe a control tactic, like a mind control thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a warning to any potential rebel rousers in the room. Like, oh no, I'm gonna throw jargon at you. And if you don't understand it, maybe you should find a new job. I think mm -hmm. it is all fake and it is a control tactic none of it is real none of it means anything yeah. and that's not to say that every corporate job or job that takes place in an office is bullshit this is a very specific kind of yeah like bureaucratic language that mm -hmm. just means nothing. nothing yeah same with um like litigious kind of language just say in mm. English what's legal and what's not. What is all this pursuant <laughs> to and whereof? And, and just like the, the density, like, why are you, why do you kind of sound like Adam Smith or like some, <laughs> some centuries old writer? Like, you're pretty much just telling me, please don't sue this company if you leave. <laughs> why are you making this difficult for me to understand? That's yeah. another why are you capitalizing regular thing? nouns? Yeah, it's yeah. like, if I make this as boring and impossible as possible, they won't read it. <laughs> Sign here. I mean, that's true. Who's ever read, like, iTunes terms and conditions? Please. It's so long. It doesn't have to be so long. Nothing has to be long ever. Um... I really like all of the absurd places that this show goes. Like, another of my favorite episodes is in that first season where Manny runs away and then becomes a model. <laughs> it's just okay, not that one is that one is so weird. <laughs> it's so weird, but it's so funny. And unfortunately, one... it's so visual. I mean, I hope that I hope that people who are listening have seen it. But if you haven't seen this show, I'd recommend binging it. It's on Amazon Prime. If you got that. Yes. Gosh. Yeah. It's so. I don't know. I I loved how completely random the weird places that this show goes. It's very refreshing. Like you were saying about the surprising whimsy of some of Bernard's lines and just the places that their brains go in writing this. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. And I do eventually start to feel very protective of Manny mm. in a way. Like even though I can't quite figure him 
out. So it kind of leaves me, you know, I root for him, but I'm not like on the edge of my seat rooting for him. Sure. But, but when he does say, well, I'm quitting, you're very, very mean to me. I kind of go, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't disagree. <laughs> because Bernard is, um, you know, he's a misanthrope, but he's also one of those misanthropes who kind of sucks you in and starts to try to control you. It's like, I, I don't want anybody in my orbit, but I'm kind of comfortable abusing you. Mm-hmm. And if you leave me, then I'm going to have to find somebody new and I don't want to. Yes. That kind of seems to be the relationship between the two of them. Totally. And so when Bernard is just like treating Manny like a teenager and trying very much to control him and trying to limit his contact with the outside world because... We don't see Manny's life outside the shop, but he does have one. Mm -hmm. Like, friends call him and invite him places, and he has a social life. And yet he does Um, live there, right? He lives there. Where was he living before? (laughs) I have so many questions. Yeah, no, he lives in the shop, but he also has friends outside the shop. He's also the only one whose parents we meet. Right? We totally meet his parents, yeah. yeah. But Manny tells Bernard that he's leaving, and then he's just kind of wandering the street because he's now jobless. Mm-hmm. And he goes home with this guy who, um, <laughs> there are pictures that we see. We see Manny walk away with a strange man, mm-hmm. and then we pan to, like, wanted posters of that man. Yeah. And... The guy just starts taking pictures of Manny in in a studio and it gets progressively weirder and weirder, the pose that he asks Manny to make. And then we have this epic 80s montage of Manny walking around in very feminine giant fur coat with sunglasses. Leopard and and crazy hair. Leopard and shit. But we also see him in the studio dressed full on as like little Bo (laughs) And these magazines are being sold to Asian businessmen who yeah. uh, this photographer then tries to pimp Manny out to. Yeah. So actually, I'm going to I'm gonna correct something that you said, because you said that you, oh. it pans to a want ad, but it doesn't actually do that. What it does is it sets up our expectations and then flips them brilliantly. So instead it says, like, have you seen these men? And you see him go off with this mysterious stranger, and then you see a bunch of missing men who also have, are, are kind of balding and have goatees like Manny. So you think, oh no, he's become the target of a serial killer who's after all of these people. But then instead it's, and you're kind of waiting for, oh no, he's a photographer. That's kind of a, you know, creepy trope. Maybe he's going to take pictures of him and then kill him. But no, the photography and then the selling him to Japanese businessmen is, is the end game. So... Wait, what did I misunderstand about the wanted poster? Well, you said that it was a wanted poster. I mean, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it wasn't of the man that he goes off with. It was a, like, missing persons. Have you seen these men? Like, do you, or, like, what do these men have in common or something? And it's you see, like, four other men who are sort of the same type as Manny. So you oh. assume that they've all disappeared because they've been killed by this person. But instead, either it's just a random coincidence or maybe they've all just disappeared into the arms of Japanese businessmen. <laughs> But it's it's very funny because we think, oh, no, we're worried for your safety. And then it just goes to such a weird, completely unexpected place. Okay. I did completely misremember that then. But I I do also like the twist ending of that episode. (laughs) The moment where Manny finally realizes like, oh no, this is is in fact a a criminal like prostitution enterprise (laughs) um, is when the the man who's been taking photographs of him introduces him to a group of Japanese businessmen and then like tells them to just take them out to a night on the town at a casino Mm -hmm. and show them a good time. And Manny's yelling at him. And then you, you know, in the next scene, you see him go back to the shop and ask for his old job back and 
then a casino chip falls out of Manny's pocket. Yes, and in that way, we've been sort of comparing Manny to Manuel as far as the hapless, abused employee. But I think in that moment, he's a Baldrick because he has been (laughs) prostituted. Oh my god, what does Baldrick's sign say again? Like, get in here or something? I don't remember. Oh, it was so funny. But that happened like in several seasons of Blackadder. So multiple Baldricks have been have been sold into making some men very happy. Oh, I also love the one with Simon Pegg as the bookstore manager of the rival bookshop next door, Goliath Books. That's another, we were just talking about like the sort of weird conformity of corporate culture and how controlling certain managers or micromanagers can be. And there's a lot of really great examples of him trying to exert so much control over this guy. Like, it does make, you you said that Bernard also tries to exert control over Manny, but that's, you know, the devil you know. It's sort of a more comfortable, Mm -hmm. less rigid type of control. But this one, it says, like, we need to take retinal scans of you every 15 seconds to make sure you're still you. Like, it's a very futuristic and weird place. There's, like, a muffin machine. The lights are all done through, like, automated stuff. There's a spinning magazine rack. It's this very futuristic, kind of utopian, dystopian... Well, I do love how, um, like, I just kind of always accepted a place like Barnes & Noble as lovely i mm-hmm. go in there and it's a bookshop and i understand it's corporate but it's a product i believe in sure. um that's really <laughs> um and then oh shit there's a cafe here oh well i will have a giant muffin oh it's so relaxing in here and everyone's so nice mm-hmm. and asking if i need any help and i really feel i could stay here for hours fuck it while i'm here i will buy all of these books and it's something that i've never really verbalized or questioned mm-hmm. but i did love seeing manny walk into the corporate bookstore mm-hmm. And then come out with a bag of books and a comically large muffin and a latte Mm -hmm. and like going back to the bookshop and telling Bernard like we need to try to do something similar. Mm -hmm. Is that the same episode or do they make fun of- That's actually two different episodes, I think. Those are two different episodes, right. Because the one that you're thinking of, they try to, they're like, oh, well, we should start to serve coffee too. Oh, let's start to serve meals. Like let's cook dinner or whatever. They they try to be everything and to service every possible need. And um, Right, right, right. And like a little independent bookshop can't do that. But before- before they go after the corporate culture mm-hmm. of Goliath books and the insanity of the Simon Pegg character, mm-hmm. I do like how they just set up corporate bookshops so realistically. And yes. I had never questioned bookshops as being something that like lures you in and then, you know, chokes all your money out of you. But mm. but the way that they were kind of exploring that, it's like, oh, no, 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 this is still kind of an exploitative enterprise because <laughs> we give you incentive to come here other than books and i had mm-hmm. never questioned it and i thought oh man they've they've tapped into this shit because i i do go into barnes and noble i'm like well i do need maybe i do need a journal and maybe i do need this one. Oh my god <laughs> no just last night i fucking dropped 36 dollars at a barnes and noble because i had dinner with some friends at cafe lala literally on the same block as the movie that was playing an hour later so i was like okay i'll go kill time at barnes and noble a few blocks away and then i was like oh here's a lovely journal and here are some note cards. And I have friends that I like to write cards to, so I definitely need more. I'm still working through the two or three sets that I have, but these ones are very colorful. Okay, yeah. No, I yeah. I don't think that I'd ever seen the, uh, the evil seduction <laughs> that is like a giant-ass Barnes Noble. 
portrayed yeah. on on television so oh i did want to say one other thing it's not like a smart point or anything but i also loved you were talking about the episode elephants and hens with the bachelorette party mm. the other plot of that is that they've made a bet bernard and manny have made a bet that fran is going to have a miserable time at this bachelorette party and meanwhile she has made a bet with them that they can't write a children's book in this one night and then they do and they think that it's too good. And there's this great little monologue that I want to play <laughs> yes, about yes. how, oh, like our our lives will be changed by all of the success and the fame. And oh, but I just want to lead a normal life. Like we have to burn it because it's too good. And I mean, who hasn't fallen into the weird best case scenario fantasy to the point where you're not just counting your chickens, but worrying about the chickens before they hatch. It's it's so funny and so stupid, but also so relatable. And I would I would love to play that here. <laughs> Bernard, I feel sorry for the children who grew up before they could read this book. <laughs> Mate, we are going to be very, very rich. How rich, Bernard? Oh, uncontrollably, incontinently rich. <laughs> and, and Fran will be humiliated. Yeah. See, we don't need this dirty, filthy, everyday money. <laughs> Success will bring problems. I don't want to wake up in rehab with Shergar. No problems. We're on the pig's back, charging through a velvet field. There will be pressure for a follow-up. People will say, you are the elephant balloon, guys. It's been a while. Where's the next one? Who cares? Who cares what our disgusting public think? Then there'll be all, all the houses. You'll be in your mustique house. You'll think, oh, no, where's my designer underpants? Oh, they're in my Kong Hong house. Oh, no. And then the, 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 there's the press intrusion. The press? Will they be on to us? Bernard, they'll hound us like a pack of hounds. <laughs> but I'm not doing anything. I'm just strolling up the beach with my discreetly pregnant Brazilian girlfriend. <laughs> and then the boat appears with laden with paparazzi. And I'll say, you felt felt. Take a photo of me if you must. Yeah. But leave her out of it. Yeah. She didn't ask for any of this. She's just an ordinary lingerie model. <laughs> I can't deal with it. I just want to live in my normal mansion with my normal helicopter, my normal yacht. Is that too much to ask? No. Manny, we must undo what? this thing. What do you mean? It has to go. Yeah, you're right, Bernard. It's our only chance of living a normal life. Well, no, I actually have an embarrassing thing I could share. Oh, Stephanie, I think I speak for all of our listeners when I say we're all ears. Okay, this is something I've never vocalized to anyone in my life. <gasps> I feel so privileged to be the first. I don't think. Okay, um, do you know the talk show host Wendy Williams? I know of her. Okay, so at my first like miserable job of my life out of college moving back in with mom and dad i'm not gonna rag on it too much but it was just like the <laughs> stupidest part-time miserable chain to the desk customer service thing mm -hmm. and um i was working there with our friend veronica and um one of the good things to look forward to was you know just lunch break in the break room veronica our friend joyce and i watching wendy williams it's a daytime talk show she has celebrity guests there's a lot of pop culture gossip stuff 
And um, she's kind of messy and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And this was even years and years ago before the show was what it is now, where her celebrity guests were not A-list guests. They were people you had never heard of who had written books you were never going to read. Or maybe (laughs) they were the, you know, fourth lead on a brand new show that was then to be canceled. Like it wasn't, you know, that, that big of a deal. So she announced a contest that you could enter to be flown out to New York for like a couple days and be her co-host on the show. Okay. And I I entered this contest okay. and you were supposed to submit like video submissions, you know, talking mm-hmm. about like why you love Wendy. And I, I did this. Mm-hmm. I did this thing where I filmed myself and I talked about like, Wendy, I love you. And then I sent it to her. And then the next day or two later, um, someone called me from a number I didn't recognize. And it was someone from the Wendy Williams show saying that I had moved on to like the final stage of the contest and that I needed to make another video and like kind of pull out all the stops and really show your creativity and I was so excited oh my god I got this I'm gonna be on Wendy Williams and then I did a total Bernard Black thing where I convinced myself that I would then be like thrust into this world of celebrity (laughs) gossip and people would be making fun of me for for whatever like what if some what if the show went horribly wrong and then I was made fun of on TMZ forever and I had Wendy Williams dissing me in the media and I'll never be able to do anything of my own creatively because I'll forever be known as that lame co-host on one episode of Wendy Williams. submitted my video and I completely just procrastinated until hours before the deadline and I knew I didn't do a good job at all and then I wasn't fucking selected because I convinced myself like oh no I'll be all over the (laughs) deck don't fly too close to the sun I know I know so, oh, yes. that's precious. I, and that's I'm... not embarrassing because I've definitely done stuff like that too. Like every time I have like an idea for a book or a screenplay or a song, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so successful, but am I ready for this level? Do I want, you know, talking to my good friend Stephanie about black books to be the thing that is on my obituary? Is that is that how I want my legacy to go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's a very human thing, and we all, we all do it. No, oh my it's, God. I mean, we do it personally, too. Like, we, you know, you meet somebody and you think, oh, they were cute and they, they offered me a tissue when I needed one. How will my name sound with theirs and what will our wedding hashtag be? You know, it's like. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. The struggle of the closet optimist. A guy asked for my number and I'm terrified he'll call me. I'm also terrified that he won't. But if he does, I will be giving away my individuality. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did mm-hmm. that to myself a few years ago. It was great. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I'm going to say definitely see Little Women tonight. Save Harley Quinn for another night. Okay. Just like, you know, as far as giving away your independence, if you if you marry, it's just, it seems like a, it's a very Joe March Oh, thing. God. Did, did Joe March for secret, like love the pussy um i i think you'd need to really read between the lines <laughs> i i don't not textually no oh, okay. um i mean you, you've read the book right uh i read the first couple or- chapters in middle school and i saw the winona version so okay so you so you know that in the i mean spoiler if you haven't read the book guys or seen any of the many adaptations but like she she marries that german dude so Joe March. Does she marry the the German dude? Yes. In the book. 
Not in the Winona film. I don't think they make it that far because I think that doesn't it end with her like kissing him and then that's the end. Yeah. And I remember as a kid being very confused by that because he seemed so much older than her. And I was like, that's a that's... thing. But what? Kind of like yeah. how when I was a child in the mid 90s and I loved Jurassic Park, I was not picking up on the fact that Laura Dern was supposed to be dating Sam Neill. I remember thinking mm. like, oh, but that's her dad. And my yeah. older brother making fun of me. But but in retrospect, no, like, why the fuck was Laura Dern dating Sam Neill? No, but that's, you were, your little child brain was correctly interpreting the way that things should be. And instead, it's, it's so creepy when the opposite happens. Like, I remember one time I was with my dad, I was like 19 or 20, and I went to this New Year's Eve party with him and his friend who's maybe a year or two older than him and had like completely white hair and it was someone asked me if I was this friend's like wife or girlfriend I was like I'm fucking I'm a virgin what the I'm clearly like 40 years younger than this guy how is that an okay assumption to make and also you know you know the painting American Gothic that's a father and daughter everyone assumes it's a husband and wife but like she's clearly much younger than him we've just internalized that it is normal look up look it up okay I know the painting but I've never whoa okay I'm looking at American Gothic. <sighs> okay. She she does look old to me. Well, that's because this was made in the era before fucking Botox. Ex- exactly. And, you know, I mean, but she she's lived a hard life. It's also, you know, she's not dyeing her hair. Like, she looks old because she probably, as a farmer, spends a lot of time in the sun. And, you know, back in the day, being, you know, 30 was like being 50 no, or something. No, for sure. But... Wow, though. But if she's not dying, her like, we, yeah. I, I know, mean, I now that I know, I can't unsee it, but that right. I will give a pass on because she doesn't look like his daughter until you kind of point okay, it out. Okay, but she doesn't, she shouldn't look like his wife is my point. What the fuck? Anyway, where were we? <laughs> um, Doesn't matter. <laughs> I also, one of my other favorite examples of the, the way that Dylan Moran can kind of craft jokes and relatable things that we've never quite verbalized but you hear them and you go Mm -hmm. oh that's hilarious in season two the episode fever where there's a heat wave i mean living in southern california it's cracking me up they're like it's gonna be 80 degrees i'm like oh fam (laughs) but bernard is talking about how the heat is fucking with him because he keeps staring at women and um (laughs) i do appreciate how he's like and i don't want to be creepy and a creepy man mm-hmm. who stares at women. So I better find a girlfriend just for the summer. Oh, I love that. <laughs> just for the summer. And then, uh... so he looks at this woman and he sa- he's saying the funniest shit. He says things like, I bet she washes her hair in streams and milks things. And yeah, he describes so his good. perfect summer girl like she doesn't wear shoes. <laughs> and I'll ditch her in the autumn and she'll be my summer my girl. Summer... We gotta play the clip. She'll be a summery girl. She'll have hair. She'll have summery friends who know how to be outside. She'll, she'll play tennis and, and wear dresses and have bare feet. And in the autumn, I'll ditch you, because she's my summer girl. Another thing we haven't talked about is that in episode two, Manny full-on mm-hmm. asks Bernard if he and Fran have ever fucked. And mm-hmm. Bernard says, like, well, we once woke up naked together on New Year's Day. And I don't remember anything that happened, but she does, and she never wants to talk about it again. Mm -hmm. So they kind of set it up that that is a possibility. Like, that possibility is on the table, but then they never go near that idea ever again. There is absolutely zero romantic tension between those two characters. Yeah. Do you like that or not like that? Well, I like how in Fever, 
he says to Fran, don't you think it's about time now, you know, that we actually admit it, that we're hugely attracted to one another, you know? And she says, no, I don't. I think we should wait a bit until at least one of us is dead. And then Mm -hmm. they say, let's get a drink then. And they never go near it again. And so part of me is like, I've never, I've never really seen the man woman dynamic handled in this way before. I kind of feel Mm -hmm. like they either spoon feed you this, like it's going to happen or will it, but you care now. They either do that a la the office, whether it's Jim and Mm -hmm. Pam or, um, don't hurt me. I can't believe Dawn and Tim. Thank you. Wow. All right. We almost had beef. It's all good. (laughs) I know their names and I love the show very much, but I think the fact that I said Jim and Pam first made me go, "Uh uh-oh, now I'm in- That was like I, Ross, take the Rachel moment. And I feel like Emily right now and you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I do. I actually saw that episode once in a hotel when I was on vacation. Okay, well, that episode was one of the ones that was in London. So there you go. Um, Conversations come in full circle. Go ahead. Tim and Dawn. Mm -hmm. I said it. I knew their names. I said, don't forget their names because the pressure's on. And then I forgot their names. (laughs) Okay. So they either set that up for the beginning and you watch it and you're on the edge of your seat and it's very well earned. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, surprise, we're going to throw these people together at the very last minute for comedic effect or for the sake of making it look like this show was about something. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that this show kind of does neither is sort of funny. They flirt with it two times. And then they go, yeah. nope. And then they never mention it again. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't do anything with it in the finale. Because in the finale, Manny does get a girlfriend. And it seems like, oh, that would be an easy way to show, like, oh, well, the show's over. Because Manny finds happiness. And maybe the two of them can either have a, a sexless kind of grudging relationship, like a la Andy and Maggie, where it's, like, a little bit open-ended and ambiguous, or maybe they'll, like, have drunken sex one time and then be like, oh, that was a mistake, we'll never do it again, but at least now we both remember, or maybe they'll actually pair up. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't pick up that thread ever again, Um, and I wasn't, like, too upset or relieved either way, like, it wasn't a huge emotional investment on my part. No. But, yeah, it was was interesting. Black. Interesting dynamic. Books. Porn. Oh, we've forgotten to do that for quite a while. Thanks for reviving a time-honored tradition on Anglophilia. Okay, um, this must- You're probably going to get a lot of, like, racially themed, like, some librarians, maybe. I don't know. Well, it must be an- Oh, okay. Because a lot of stuff is coming up, but there's no possible way that it is what it is. But black book must be a a term in porn, but I don't know what it is. Oh, because something just something on Pornhub says black book porn videos. So I don't know if this Hmm. will involve black. Oh, God. (laughs) Fuck off. Okay. Oh, God, I hate it. Oh, do do I want to know? Did you find out what this term means? Or is it just you're being assaulted with with cocks right now? Assaulted with cocks. Um, What does black book (laughs) porn mean? (laughs) Because does it mean like your little black book? Oh, I never thought of that. But. That's like not a... Yeah, that still seems like a very quaint way of talking about, like, being a player. Yeah. Kelly's Black Book, scene one. Watch Kelly's Black Book. So, yeah, she's probably going through her Black Book. And maybe there's another thing about, like, being booked. 
Oh God, I I can't. Yeah. I hate pornography. I don't. Yeah, we don't need to. Yeah. We don't need to pursue this any further. Thanks for making the effort, though. I appreciate it. God dang it, though. I mean, here is another fucking example of how like no, shoot the real version during the day, shoot the porn version at night because I want to see a black books <laughs> fucking you know porn parody, but I want Bernard in it, played by Dylan Brad. Mm. Oh, I know. But like, what would he or who would he do? Both of them. Both of them. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Bernard and Manny together. I don't either. But for the sake of being egalitarian and awesome, it must happen. Well, all right, if you say so. I won't argue. While we're on this topic, Shag Mary Kill. Fuck yeah. Okay. I had a hard time with this one. I haven't committed to anything because I also am having a hard time. Because you know something that you and I brought up when when talking about BoJack Horseman. And I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to spoil too much if you are a avid viewer of it and haven't watched the final episodes yet, or if you haven't seen the yeah. show yet, because you fucking should. Uh, yeah, I definitely watched that show. But there are male and female characters in that series, and, and there is a bit of a will-they-won't-they, will and then they kind of abandon that, but they never really let you forget that at one point that was a thing that the show toyed with. And then in the end, you kind of are left being reminded that that was a possibility at one time. But you and I discussed that. And you said that one of the reasons why you were never quite rooting for it is because the characters are too similar when they're going through struggles. They both have the same sort of weaknesses, mm-hmm. one to a much greater degree, but they do have yeah. similar weaknesses. And I think that's true of Bernard and Fran. I don't think that in the end they would be good for each other. Even if they I, had fun I for a minute, it wouldn't be lasting or or great. Yeah, no, they're not. They're not endgame at all. Um, I agree with that assessment. Um, okay, so I I don't want to marry any of these people. No. And I don't feel that bad about killing any of them either. Me either. It's it's interesting. It's like my least emotionally invested characters. Like I I enjoy watching all of them, but if but if they killed off if if they killed them all like in a young one style finale, I would have been like, "Oh well." Like I wouldn't I wouldn't cry. Right. Um and I don't think that that's like a bad reflection on the show. It's just the the nature of the tone of the comedy of this piece is like it's you know low stakes, very silly, kind of heartless. Ooh, wait, we didn't talk about something. Sorry, we can we can put a pin in the fuck Mary kill because in the finale, I was wondering throughout the whole thing, like what exactly is Bernard's psychology? Like why is he such a miserable fuck? Because we we've talked about the psychology of say Basil Fawlty in the past and you can see where his anger comes from. You know, wanting to be loved and feeling insecure and and wanting things to go right and not being in control and you can see how how hurt he is a lot of the time underneath all of his being miserable and there are, there are shades to his misery and to his anger. Um but with this I was sort of trying to solve the riddle of Bernard like why why is he such a bastard? Why is he so sad why does he always seem like he's on the verge of tears and he's always drunk and i just wondered if there was anything deeper about that and then in the finale they said like you've never you don't have a heart you know you've you've never even been in love and he said no that's not true i had a relationship and then she died and i was like oh shit they're taking it real and then of course it is undone in a couple of minutes because it's revealed that fran knows that this woman is not actually dead she just faked her own death to avoid having to break up with him or to be in a relationship with him anymore, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So that was kind of, there was like one little moment where they teased a little bit of emotional reality before then immediately backtracking. Although, you know, that pain was still real for him. He still was mourning the, the loss of the supposed love of his life for however many years. So, uh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so I don't know. Obviously, 
Dylan Moran, Foxy Foxy Man. I think, I think I, I don't know if I want to fuck Bernard though, because he would be probably really terrible, right? Like he's, he'd be something nice to look at, but he'd either fall asleep because he was drunk or he would like be violent and not care about my feelings. Like I just can't imagine that the lovemaking would be satisfying in any way. I know. So do you have any, want to help me out in making a decision here? I mean... If, if I had to go with just the gut instinct without thinking about what the reality would be, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I were yeah, to give yeah. the answer and it's based purely on my projections of these people, yes. which is like, Manny's an idiot and kind of can be annoying and he's bad at things. Bernard is someone I am hugely attracted to and Fran is great and funny. Mm-hmm. And I think about it on, on no such deeper level at all. I kill yeah. Manny fuck Fran and Mary Bernard. That's kind of my gut reaction. Wait, Mary Bernard, really? Mm -hmm. Because, and again, this is thinking no deeper, except I am attracted to Dylan Moran, and in my fantasy, I fuck Bernard Black, and it's great, and then I get to do it many more times because we're married. And he's a business owner. We don't know why or how, but if my life with him is like owning a bookshop... I don't know. Uh, like I said, this is without yeah, giving okay. it any further thought than that's, my projection onto these. That's interesting because my my gut reaction to that too would also be, uh, it would be flipped because like Fran, I think would be maybe a better, I don't know. I'm, I'm so lost here because also Manny does have his deficiencies, but there are other times when he's like the only one who knows how to clean. He could do my taxes. That is not nothing. <laughs> in, in the first episode, Bernard goes way out of his way. Is it the first episode or the second episode? I think it's the first episode, yeah, where he tries to injure himself. He invites missionaries into his home. He can't even answer what his mother's maiden name is. I always called her Ma! I, I think that this is true. he would not be a good life partner in terms of any of the practical stuff. No, no, he wouldn't. Um, but maybe Manny would be. But also, he is a bit useless. Oh, it's very tough. Um... I don't think I could be married to Bernard because I don't want to be married to an alcoholic smoker who has no joy and is not kind in any way. No, you're, <laughs> so, you're not wrong. Yeah, but I also don't want to... I guess I guess maybe I'd marry Fran and uh, and kill Manny, though I would feel a little bit bad about that. And, and fuck your husband. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. you, can, you can. I can loan him out. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh... All right. On that note, I guess we'll wrap things up here. Yeah. Mm. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AngloPodcast. Email us at AngloPhiliaPodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, AngloPhiliaPodcast.com. If you go there, there's also information on how to donate to our Patreon page and become a patron. You will be given access to early episodes and also extended cuts that the rest of the common folk are not privy to. Um, (laughs) Yes. There's also... There is um, merchandise. You can order some lovely enamel pins of our logo and other Britcom-inspired references. Um, is there anything else? Uh, what are we watching? Next week, we'll be watching Bottom. <gasps> Ooh! Yes. Oh, my God. But we'll be completing the Rick and Aid trinity of, of shows, and it's going to make me uh, sad. It'll be, it'll be bittersweet, but also very silly and and flatulent and and joyful and strange flatulent bittersweet bottom fantastic (laughs) (laughs) can't wait oh my god dude what fran is absolutely our fucking sister you know why wait why 
She's down to drink rosé and masturbate. Ah, uh, snap. <laughs> 